Blog Talk Radio. Advocates everywhere, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and our favorite veterinarian friend, Dr. Jean Dodds, will be in shortly to talk about the growing number of dogs diagnosed with thyroid disorders and what can be done about it. Dr. Dodds is involved in so much cutting-edge research, and she's one expert you definitely want to be ready for with paper and pen because she'll no doubt have a lot of information you'll want to hang on to. And after our halftime break, Marianne Dill will have a new batch of animal-themed books to review. It's been a while since Marianne has been by, and I know a lot of you have been asking for more of her book reviews, so you're in for a treat today. Keep your radio tuned right here to K-Mozart, and we'll get started after a very quick station break. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewlett, and it is my pleasure to welcome back to the Pet Place our wonderful veterinarian friend, Dr. Jean Dodds. Hi, Dr. Dodds. How are you this morning? I'm fine, Marie. Thank you. Hey, I have heard that you have received a very special award for your book, The Canine Thyroid Epidemic. Can you tell me a little bit about the book and also the recognition? Actually, we got two awards, which was totally surprising. Wow, the dog ri- <laughs> yeah, The Dog Writers Association of America nominated our book for the best uh, dog health care book for 2011, and we won, yeah. uh, my co-author Diana Labradura and myself. And then we also got an award from Yukonuba in the recognition of the late Maxwell Riddle, who um, was a dog judge and someone I knew very well personally, so I'm sure he's smiling up there, uh-huh. because we got the award for the best health dog health um, product, books, or anything else for the year 2011, so that wow. was very special. Oh, congratulations. That's just amazing and, and well-deserved, <laughs> I might add. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what made you decide to write a book about thyroid disorders? Well, it's a very interesting thing. For about 20 years, I've been studying these diseases, coming from a background that was not endocrinology, not hormones. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, sometimes you have a different perspective because you don't have tunnel vision. And then I realized there was so much about this uh, set of disorders in people and animals that the average uh, pet owner, for example, or person doesn't know, and that even doctors and veterinarians don't know. Okay. So I started studying it with, you know, experience, and we developed our own laboratory diagnostics. And we realized that there was a lot to convey to the public. What good is it if I do this for 20 years and I don't share it with anybody else, you know, other than at professional meetings? Mm -hmm. So we wrote the book. Wow. But why did you focus on the thyroid gland in particular? Because it's so prevalent as we've, um, especially in inbred and linebred um, breeds of dogs and, Mm -hmm. and even the hybrid breeds, their genetics are so alike, and then we have all this environmental pollution that we've done. We're damaging the air, we're damaging the water, we're damaging the ground, and so the immune system doesn't tolerate it very well, and one of the ways that it expresses it is through the major master glands like the thyroid gland. Oh, so would you say there really is a thyroid epidemic going on then? Absolutely, absolutely, and it's because 
uh, for, for several reasons, because of the inbreeding and line breeding, which will fix traits, which is good and bad, mm-hmm. and also we have to be able to recognize it better. And so what we were taught, you know, for the last 30 years is we wait until the animal's fat and lazy and has no hair um, before you can make a diagnosis. <laughs> okay, so so those would be some of the symptoms that an owner would be seeing once it's gotten to a full-blown yeah, well, that's the end stage, and by then anybody can diagnose it, sort of. The, the thing is that the body doesn't wake up tomorrow and be sick. It has to get there gradually and progressively. Wow. So how do we recognize these diseases early on? And, and one of the first things that happens, Marie, is a behavioral problem. The animal then suddenly becomes erratic in its behavior. You know, when it's had a pattern and it's two or three years of age, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden it doesn't want to be petted, it doesn't want to eat, it doesn't want to be interactive with the family or the children. It gets grumpy um, and sometimes even bites. Wow. Totally unprovoked. Now, and is people, this because they're feeling pain and discomfort, or is this psychological based well, on hormones? It's both. It's okay. both. And, and when the thyroid gland first gets diseased, it swells up. And so we're wondering now about the effect of putting collars on them and when an animal's out walking and it's pushing on a lead or or a chain collar, it may be pressing on an inflamed gland right in front of the trachea in the windpipe. That's where the thyroid gland is located. Wow. So we're starting to think about the fact that the animal doesn't feel right, you know? Mm -hmm. I see. And is this book aimed towards pet owners? and breeders, or is it more for the medical professional? No, it's aimed, professional? no good question. It's aimed specifically for the pet owner and the breeder, okay. uh, but all the references and uh, to, to validate what we've written are in there so that veterinarians are actually um, enjoying it as well. And we have a whole bunch of typical case studies with cute names, you know, um, vignettes of of a particular case that illustrate the point that we've written in the chapter, and there's some pictures as well. Okay. Is is thyroid disease or thyroid disorders, are they only treated with medication, or is there something else a pet owner can do to, well, first of all, to prevent it in the first place? Well, there isn't much you can do to prevent it except to have wholesome nutrition, of course, mm-hmm. um, with as little chemical exposures as possible and, you know, exercise and just all the good things we should be doing for ourselves okay. will apply to the pet. But a lot of times the thyroid gland is sluggish because it's not actually being damaged pathologically. It's just being suppressed by other things in the environment or even adrenal exhaustion, you know, from stress. Oh, okay. And when you have that situation, you can correct the thyroid debt, we call it, sometimes with supplements that support the thyroid. Thyroid support uh, natural products, for example. Okay. Is but it... but if it really is hypothyroidism and the gland is damaged, it cannot regenerate, so you must give thyroid therapy. And that's for the remainder of your pet's life. Is that real expensive? No, it's not, fortunately. Oh, good. But it has to be given twice a day because unlike humans where the turnover time of the of the hormone is five to seven days, mm-hmm. in the dog it's only 12 to 16 hours. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, so that's a big difference. I didn't think there was so much yeah. of a difference in well, well, uh, human they don't physiology. Live okay, yeah. that, that makes sense. That makes right. sense. Do veterinarians have a hard time diagnosing thyroid problems? They do, primarily because they've been taught generally to do what we call a complete blood count, chemistry, urinalysis, and a T4, one of the thyroid tests. And if that's nor- if it's low, they can make a diagnosis which is inappropriately 
so. And if it's normal, they think the dog's normal, and they haven't looked for thyroid antibodies, and they haven't done a complete profile. Okay. So it can be totally confusing. It's it's more confusing than, a, than diagnosing adrenal disease today. Wow, that's very interesting. I used to work for a, an old school veterinarian in the 80s, Who's, who's long passed away, but he was he was a character. But he used to have me smell for the corn tortilla smell, and he said if you smell that, then you can almost guarantee that the dog has a thyroid condition. Was he right about that? <laughs> well, actually, there is a change in the body chemistry that can do that. In fact, we're going back to old-time things now, aren't we, where we're looking more um, with our senses, you know, the smell, the touch, the feel, um, as well as these um, tests. I mean, we've become a little bit more de- too-dependent, I think, on, on auto-analyzer, spit-out results and not looking at the patient. So we mm-hmm. have to marry both of those. They're very important. Okay. What's involved in, in testing and, and therapy? What can a pet owner expect in this process? Okay, it's just a bu- simple blood sample, and then the serum from the clotted blood is sent off to a laboratory for the specialty testing, like we do, for example. We're the only diagnostic lab in the world that actually interprets the thyroid results based on the age of the dog or cat and the breed because a chihuahua doesn't have the same metabolism as a St. Bernard. In fact, you wouldn't want that. Mm-hmm. Would you want a Newfoundland with the energy of a Yorkshire Terrier? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so metabolic needs are different, and so you can't just use, you shouldn't just use the uh, typical laboratory printout, one size fits all. It doesn't. And so we need to be much more specific about the diagnosis. Okay. And so the diagnosis is made, and then if it's abnormal, the treatment is, is suggested um, okay. by the clinical veterinarian. If you are thinking about bringing a puppy home and you find out that the parents of a particular puppy have some sort of thyroid disorder, is there a strong likelihood that the puppy will also have it? Yes, there is, and it depends a little bit on what kind of thyroid disorder and whether one or both parents had it. Okay. It could just be one, but if both have it, then the chances of the offspring having it are higher. Wow. But and Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Dr. Dodd. No, I was just going to say, all animals from purebred families that have this disease should be screened regularly, whether they're used for breeding or not, okay. for their own health sake, starting at puberty and then going annually until like six or seven years of age. Okay, so so it is an annual thing that you should have your veterinarian check for when you go in for their physical. Correct, with a complete profile and not a T4 alone. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So you need to kind of be educated yourself to right. be able to tell your veterinarian what you'd like. I know some people have a difficult time <laughs> asking their veterinarian to do things. Sometimes they feel like they're a little out of place or, or intimidated, what advice would you give to well, pet I owners? Well, I think you just have, the pet owner has to be firm and say that I do know about this problem in the breed or in this dog family. Mm-hmm. I really want doctor to do a more complete profile, and I'm willing to pay for it. Okay. If our listeners wanted to read more about this, can you give the title of your book again and also where they can get it if they wanted to? Yeah, it's called The Canine Thyroid Epidemic um, by myself and Diana Laverdura. It's published by DogWise, but it's readily available at Amazon.com. Wonderful. Dr. Dodds, you are always such a wealth of information, and I sure appreciate that you were able to spend a little time with us this morning, so thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Marie. Take care. Thank you. You too. Uh We need to take a quick break now for us. 
motivation message, but when we return, Marianne Dell has reviewed a new batch of books about animals, and she'll be in momentarily, so stay tuned right here to K-Mozart for more of the Pet Place. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show with Marianne Dell and a new batch of books that she was able to make time to review for us. Hi, Marianne. How's it going? It's going well. How are you, Marie? I'm doing really well, and I'm so glad that you're on the show. I know a lot of people have been asking about your book reviews. Yes, we've kind of avoided those the last few times and talked about other stuff, so good to get some back on the air. Definitely. And your first book today is Perfect Puppy in Seven Days. (laughs) I got to hear about this. Don't we all want that? Well, and even if people don't have quite the time or the commitment to do the program outlined by Sophia Yin in her book, if they still do the steps in here, they will have a very good dog. Oh, wow. Um, Yin is a veterinarian, and she also has a master's degree in animal science. She has taught at UC Davis. She does a lot of speaking, and this is not her first book. Uh, She's written several, and I think I've reviewed at least one or two of them on the show before. Okay. I just love her. I love her outlook. I love the way she thinks about dogs and looks at dogs, and her writing is very clear. She not only explains what the right thing to do is, but she explains why, and she does it in such a way that the average pet owner is going to get it immediately. Well, that's good. Um, you and, know, and she's a real believer in positive reinforcement, right? Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. When t- when talking about how to teach your puppy to walk on a leash, she explains why jerking doesn't work, why letting the dog decide what we're going to do doesn't work, but how you can be the one to make that decision in a simple, non-forceful way, um, simply by stopping when yep. you're walking and letting the pup go. Hmm. What's going on here? I'm not moving. (laughs) Perhaps I'd better turn around and see what's up. Uh And she also talks about house training, socialization, um, how important it is to get your puppy out there into the world and get him or her exposed to different things while keeping keeping your pup physically safe. And wow. medically safe, which is doable. Mm-hmm. So this pe- is a, a great book for people who are just starting out and and really need a manual, since you don't get one yeah. when you buy your your adopt your pet. No, you don't. <laughs> Everyone should get this book. In fact, I would encourage people who are thinking about getting a puppy to get this book first. Okay. There's lots of pictures, so you don't just get an explanation of the tools she suggests and recommends, but you get pictures of them and how to use them. And lots of photos of her and other people um, interacting with the puppies to show best way to do things, how to offer a puppy a treat, how to greet a puppy, Mm -hmm. um, things like that, how to set up an indoor confinement area so that your puppy doesn't ruin your furniture and your floors Mm -hmm. (laughs) and everything else, and still learns how to be potty trained. Wonderful. Yeah. And I think it's important for everyone to know, too, that you won't have an absolute perfect dog in seven days because they're babies still. And just like humans, they still have a whole uh, growing up phase to go through where they're going to make mistakes. 
Yeah, and if I have any qualms with this book, the title would be it because you know what? You're never going to have a perfect puppy. <laughs> and none of us is perfect either. Why would we expect our dogs to be perfect? Hey, that is an excellent point. <laughs> and you know what? You have another book here that I think this would be great to get into. This is Top Tips from Top Trainers. So I guess this we're on a training day today. Well, we kind of are. Um <laughs> In fact, the first three books absolutely have a lot to do with training, but, you know, that's one of my passions. Yeah, so. definitely. Um, this book was put together by the Association of Pet Dog Trainers, which is a professional group of dog trainers and people interested in dog training and interested in dogs and bettering the world for them. Um, it's committed to trying to bring dog-friendly methods into the mainstay and has had been a huge um reason why we've moved forward in the realm of dog training in the past 15, 20 years and now do not consider using treats some weird new angy kind of thing, <laughs> um, as was often the way uh, the people who started this group were looked at when uh-huh. they started taking uh, positive reinforcement to the to the public. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, they solicited input from all their member trainers, and there's just information about a whole bunch of different things in here. Um, again, things like Sophia Yin talks about in her book, dealing with puppies, socialization, but also dealing with older dogs, um, issues like dog parks, and what do you do with a dog that's afraid of the vacuum cleaner? Hey, what do you do? Can you, can you give that away? <laughs> Absolutely. You start by not turning the thing on, <laughs> and you just let the dog be around it okay. and get good things while the vacuum cleaner is there sitting very quietly, not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And with some dogs, you really have to take things like this, um, what we call desensitization, because we're lessening the dog's sensitivity to the object and making him or her feel more comfortable with it. So you might have to, for a dog who's absolutely petrified of the vacuum cleaner, you might have to set the vacuum cleaner on the back porch and leave the dog in the house with a door or a window open where he can see it and feed him some tasty treats. Mm -hmm. And gradually bring it closer and closer, all the while not making any moves until the dog is absolutely thrilled to see that vacuum cleaner. Okay. Because, hey, what happens when the vacuum cleaner comes out? I get steak. Yay. <laughs> so I, it, I bet you could probably use these same ideas with cats, too. Um, you could. You could. Living objects, uh, we absolutely use them all the time with cats, with other dogs, with dogs that are afraid of other dogs or aggressive toward them. Mm-hmm. It often can take longer with a living being because you can't always predict what the other living being is going to do, whereas Mm -hmm. pretty certain when you set the vacuum cleaner there, it's not going to turn itself (laughs) (laughs) So this book is called Top Tips from Top Trainers. Yes. And and it's available at Amazon and bookstores? I believe so. Um, The publisher is TFH. And people can always uh, go online and just plug that into a search engine, too, and should be able to find it. It's also going to be available on a site called DogWise, D-O-G-W-I-S-E.com, one of my favorite sites for getting dog-related books. Oh, excellent. Good tip. Yep. 
Okay, the next one is called Citizen Canine, 10 Essential Skills Every Little-Mannered Dog Should Know. <laughs> yep, see, we're talking, we're on a training kick today. We sure are. <laughs> uh, Mary Birch, who wrote this book, heads the Canine Good Citizen program for the AKC. Mm-hmm. And um, people who read my column and who have talked to me the, over the years know that I'm I'm not a, a big follower of the American Kennel Club because... Well, various reasons I won't get into here. Mm-hmm. But I do support their Canine Good Citizen program, which I think is a minimal step that every dog owner can and should be able to take to show that their dog has the bare minimum skills needed to coexist in today's crazy, hectic world and be, as the title says, a good citizen. Okay. Able to be the, the – and, and this test, it's a – step test, um, the dog has to pass every one of the ten steps in order to get a canine good citizen. What Can you give an example of Ab- what these steps are? Absolutely. Um, the first one is being approached by a friendly stranger. So the evaluator who is evaluating the dog will walk up to the dog and the owner, and the dog should sit or stand or lie politely by the owner, not growl back up out of fear, aggress, try to jump on the person. So even a friendly dog that's jumping up, that that would be instant fail then? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Even if it's a friendly golden retriever, not to pick on goldens, but that just wants to get in your face and say hi, uh-huh. to get along in the world and not give dogs a bad name. And, and you know, jumping is something dogs do. It comes naturally to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something the average person walking up to a strange dog appreciates. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, and, that, and that's not to say, just as another little training tip aside, that's not to say your dog can't ever jump on you. Mm-hmm. My dog jumps on me on cue. <laughs> so when I tell him, he gets up, puts his paws on my chest, and we have a little dog and mommy session. Aww. But he knows better than to jump up on me if he's not asked to. Right, after after you've put on your nice clothes to go out. (laughs) Well, even they have dog hair on them, so what are you going to (laughs) do? Yeah, I know where you're coming from on that one. (laughs) (laughs) But some of the other steps of the test are some basic obedience stuff. The dog should be able to sit and lie down and come on cue, uh, do a short stay, be able to walk by another dog without trying to react to the other dog in any but the most calm way. We certainly don't expect the dogs to walk by and not look at each other at all, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> the dog can turn and sniff, um, certainly give an indication that it sees the other dog, but it shouldn't lunge at the other dog, either in play or aggression. Okay. shouldn't try to pull the handler off his or her feet to try to pull <laughs> the other dog or knock over the evaluator. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's not a good thing. <laughs> no. And then the one that's surprisingly... Um, gets a lot of people taking this test is the last step, which is a three-second supervised separation where a stranger holds the dog and the handler goes out of sight. And the dog has to remain calm. doesn't have to sit in an obedience-type sit-stay or Mm down-stay, but shouldn't be so agitated or worried or stressed by mom or dad being out of sight that it can't handle itself for three minutes. Mm-hmm. And 
So this would be good for occasions when you take your pet to the veterinarian and it has to be led into a room by mm-hmm. a vet tech and the veterinarian needs to examine it for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Excellent. Or or a groomer. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're taking a class with your dog and the instructor says, let me borrow your dog to show what we're doing and your dog goes nuts when you walk six feet away. <laughs> <laughs> Always an embarrassment when that happens. Yeah, <laughs> I would say so. Hey, Marianne, we only have about a minute left. Okay. I know you have one more book, uh, For the Love of Dogs, an A to Z primer for dog lovers. Let's just. This is just cute. It's an alphabet book game to kids, and each letter refers to something having to do with dogs. A is for adoption, B is for beagle, N is for noses. Uh, And it just gives a little snippet of information pertaining to that subject. It teaches a little bit about different breeds and about different topics. Marianne, between your work at the Orange County Register, behavior training, rescuing, and everything else that you do, I don't know how you have time to read and review these books, but I'm sure happy that you do. And thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. You're welcome, Marie. It's always my pleasure. We need to take one last break now, but don't go away because we'll be right back with Pet Place News and Events here on K Mozart. Back on the Pet Place Radio Show, I'm Marie Hewlett, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. On April 28th from 8.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Dana Point Harbor Island, the Pet Project Foundation will be presenting the 19th annual Wagathon that will include professional pet photos with Bolt taken by Accent Portraits by Diana, a 4K walk around the island led by Bolt, a St. Bernard mix from the Super Bowl VW commercial, a herding dog demonstration, pet contests with prizes, a doggy dash, and pledge prizes, which include a grand prize drawing for a two-night stay at St. Regis Monarch Beach. The event also features music by Another Man's Camel, the Orange County Sheriff's Department Bloodhound Team, refreshments, a Bowser Bazaar where you can find all sorts of goodies for yourself, your dog, maybe even your cat, and all sorts of other fun things. So for more information, hop on over to www.petprojectfoundation.org. Well, that's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend with more of the Pet Place here on K Mozart. I'm Marie Hewitt. Please stay or neuter your pets and have a wonderful day.